The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you a CEO or ready to become one? Have we got an hour for you. Welcome to CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. We're ready to set you up for success. Your reputation with shareholders and clients is important, but standing apart from your competitors is also essential to your success. We'll help you do both. Now, here is your host, Pam Lassiter. We're so glad you could join us today. Welcome to the CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. I'm your host, Pam Lassiter, and we'll be introducing you to the best and brightest of top executive talent who will share their expertise and learnings with you. I can hardly wait to hear their ideas. You can email me at info at ceoacademywithpam.com and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This show is your go-to place for honing the right skills to become a CEO and to stay there as a strategic competitive leader. Our guest today is one of these, and I'm so excited that Vanu Bose, CEO of Vanu Inc., a software-defined radio, SDR, company that is connecting the unconnected globally to broadband, cell phone. He is being a life changer. Make sure you find him on vanu.com, that's V-A-N-U.com, Facebook, which is facebook.com, Vanu, Inc., Twitter, and Instagram. Today, we're biting off a hairy, audacious topic, your five-step plan to be CEO. Who would dare simplify such a complicated, non-linear process into five easy pieces? Well, we would, or at least we'll give it a try. We're going to provide you with Lego pieces today that we think will be the best pieces to assemble your own five steps. Then you can customize the assembly. Sound like a plan? This is going to be fun. Vanu Bose, thank you so much for joining me. I was thank really, you, we're so lucky to get Vanu in between uh, trips to the United States, trips to Africa, which you'll hear about how that's relevant in just a minute. But it's uh, to get some of his time because he's extremely experienced as a CEO and in many other areas of work. One of Vanu's many uniquenesses is that he comes from a family of entrepreneurs. You've probably worn some of his dad's, Amar Bose's, headphones or woken up in the morning to the perfect acoustics in Bose radios, which I do every morning, and I'm hitting it every morning to get sleep, (laughs) but it still holds up to abuse. Developing your own separate career path and steps to your own success with that in front of you is always a challenge, but Vanu has done this. Vanu... Tell us a little about yourself and some early experiences that you had that may have shaped your wanting to lead your own company. Well, you know, the the Bose Corporation was started about a year before I was born. So we kind of grew up together. (laughs) And I saw that, I mean, I remember when Bose Corporation was four people. Um, So I saw it from the small stages to doing R&D to getting products to growing massively. Um, And... It was just fascinating to watch all those different stages and and was really thrilling and exciting. So it always seemed uh, like creating a company to me was always very interesting because I had a front row seat to watch, uh, you know, what was a two-person company grow to a multi-billion dollar company. You thought this is what all parents did, right? (laughs) Well, everyone thinks whatever their experience is is normal, right? (laughs) Well, this wasn't, but it took you a while to... Learned that a bit. Yeah. So what did you pick up in the environment while you were growing up? Well, I I think I was, in retrospect, very lucky. Um, You know, it's great to have a dad who's an entrepreneur and a founder and and as as a mentor and someone to learn from. But in my case, I had another factor is my dad was also a professor at MIT for 45 years. It's a long time. A long time. And um, 
every year the students uh, did a, what they called the underground grad, where they'd rate the, all the faculty, uh, purely student-run. And every year, at least every year that I was an undergrad and in grad school, my dad was the highest-rated teacher in the whole ECS department. That is quite a testimonial. This is at MIT, yeah. too. There's stiff competition. <laughs> so I benefited from that in, um, you know, whenever I'd ask him a question, uh, I didn't get an answer. I got a lesson. <laughs> so, you know, if we're eating dinner and I saw an ad for a new Bose product and I asked about it, he wouldn't just tell me about it. He'd talk about the different things they considered and why they didn't take different approaches and, you know, why they ended up with this approach. Or, or if he didn't think it was working well, what, what wasn't working well about it. And, you know, I didn't realize he was trying to teach me at that point, which is probably why I listened. If I thought he was trying <laughs> to teach me, I would have ignored him. Uh, and it was only in retrospect that, you know, when things come up, I realize I have this this storehouse of, of lessons to, to draw on that, that came from just conversations with my dad because he was first and foremost a teacher more than a, mm-hmm. an inventor or an entrepreneur. Usually those two don't go together. A good teacher doesn't necessarily make a good CEO of no. a company. No, yes, so <laughs> he was pretty unique. Great combination. You know what I think I may be hearing is our first step to become a CEO is constant learning. You were doing it. Yep. Your dad was doing it. Everybody yeah. around you was. But you were a sponge. You were constantly absorbing new information. And, and, and my dad was always learning new things in, to the point where he was never afraid to go in, into new fields. Which is important. Yeah. And we'll get to that in just a second, too. But the continual learning, good CEOs, I see that consistently. Not only do they have to listen to their shareholders and their clients... It's listening to your employees, too, and having them realize you're listening. Well, listening to everyone and, and learning. I mean, uh, you know, always, you know, reading new things or, or improving yourself or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's a constant learning process, as is life. Yeah. But I think it's even more accentuated when you're in a role like this. It's funny. You're realizing some of this in retrospect. Uh, oh, I can pull out that card on how to have technical conversations with a layman, et cetera. Exactly. <laughs> very, you know, whether it's marketing or finance, I, I yeah. find that I, well, what I, what, where it usually hits me is I find I have a very strong opinion on something. Mm-hmm. And then when I think, well, why do I have such a strong opinion? I go back <laughs> and I remember some, con- I was like, oh yeah, that's why. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it was embedded early on. Yeah. It was probably right too. I think there may be another piece I'm hearing, too. Let me test this. Your dad didn't know everything all the time, obviously. None of us did. But he needed to learn continually, and probably things weren't always in his field. They weren't always acoustics. So what no, did he do then? Not. Bring in uh, the consultants? Or no, what? I mean, one of the piece of advice he gave me when I decided to start my own company was, look, um, you're going to have to learn about a lot of other areas. You can't just delegate them to other people. You have to get in and understand them. And what he told me was, don't expect to do much technical work for at least the first three to three to five years. Really? Because you'll be learning about these other areas and doing them. They'll be more important to the success of the company. Uh, he was wrong. It was about seven years before I got back <laughs> to doing technical work. Well, what were some but of I, the other areas? Well, everything. Finance, marketing. Oh, really? Sales. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my dad, I remember this. Um, when he started... Uh, and they were, you know, they got the business going and they were talking to investors and he didn't like um, the the kind of uh, time frames and goals that investors would have forced on the company because he was always into doing long-term R&D and didn't feel he could do that uh, with mar- investors that wanted to get mm-hmm. to the public market. Mm-hmm. So he thought, he said, well, I got to be able to do this without large amounts of venture capital. And he dove into the finance and actually created a whole mathematical model and decided there were three important variables. And I can't remember all three off the top of my head. But one of the big things in terms of controlling capital, of course, was inventory yeah. and how much you could hold at a given time. So basically, in the late 60s, he had determined, they didn't call it this then, that just-in-time inventory uh-huh. was critical 
to the growth of the company. Oh, he was ahead of himself. Yeah, and so he had this math. He built a mathematical model to financially run the company with limited capital and grow it. And it well, worked. and to manage inventory at the same time. He could have made a company off of that alone. <laughs> Today, uh, probably, it would be an app. But anyway, what you are describing is something that consistently comes up in all the research as being a core skill of a CEO about knowing more than your one vertical. There is a great quote from Mark Andreessen, the prominent mm-hmm. venture capitalist. Uh, hang on with me. Listen up while I'm reading two sentences. The most successful corporate leaders are almost never the best product visionaries, the best salespeople, or the best marketing people, or the best finance people, or even the best managers. They're the top 25%. But combine those skills, and all of a sudden, they're qualified to run something important. Right. You have to have at least a good amount of knowledge in every area and be able to dive in and learn it. And that's that was the, uh, one of the big things that my the big piece of advice my dad gave me. And he for him, he would, what he loved doing was research. But if he had to go into marketing a new product, he, he would go in 100 percent and do that, do that well. And as soon as it was done, he would go back to doing research. But while he was in it. It was the most interesting thing to him because he had to learn it and had to make it a success. So have no fear. (laughs) So the second piece, Lego piece, we're proposing is broaden your functional experience. Don't be fearful of either. You can do it on a small scale like joining a cross-functional committee or going with the technical team if you're in sales or going with the sales team if you're technical. Or you could do an international assignment, which is Mm -hmm. a big piece of what companies are looking for now, and even keep doing your same function but doing it in a different culture. And then there's new domains. Um, You know, I think everyone has to have a good grasp of big data and data analytics today. Oh, that's that's, so cool. That's a new area that you need to dive in and learn enough about to be intelligent about. (laughs) So at least hanging around those people for a while Mm -hmm. or taking on a project that gets you to work with them. No, all good. That's that's a good example with the data analytics, too. Uh, What I'm going to propose for you, we're coming up on a break in a couple of minutes, but let me tell you what's going to be on my LinkedIn posting is how to get on the short list for the CEO suite, a great Harvard Business Review article by Frangos Cassandro. So if you get a chance during break, check out how to get on the short list for the CEO suite. And uh, we can talk about that or you can get some additional ideas too. Now, what we're going to do after break, we're going to hear more about how Vanu Inc. is scaling and what this has to do with you as you scale your career. So we're going to go on break now and stay with us because it's going to get exciting. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Lassiter Consulting works privately with senior-level professionals who want a trusted advisor to co-create paths to reach the career outcomes you seek. You can improve your work success in your current company, choose them for outplacement or career change, or explore retirement. Lassiter also works with corporations that are going through change. You may be discreetly transitioning a senior executive out of the company or growing yourself for increased productivity. Put Lassiter Consulting to work for you today. Visit LassiterConsulting.com. Pam Lassiter has written The New Job Security, which details the five best strategies for taking control of your career. It's a Wall Street Journal award winner. Take control of your career by learning how to use target markets and their challenges to your advantage. The book will dramatically change your resume, your communications, and your financial results. You can find the book on Amazon, including Kindle, or by visiting LassiterConsulting.com. That's LassiterConsulting.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. To reach the show, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email with questions or comments, send it to 
info at ceoacademywithpam.com. Now, back to this week's program. Looks like we're coming back from our break now, and I hope you got a chance to go to my LinkedIn posting at Pam Lassiter and look at how to get on the short list for the CEO suite. We are talking to Vanu Bose, CEO of Vanu Inc., and we're building our five-step plan to be CEO. We're going to summarize the steps at the end. So we've got some really meaty ones in this segment. We've heard a little bit about the early influences that shaped your leadership, Vanu, and the influences from your family and just what you absorbed from uh, talking about electronics with uh, your dad. And tell us about your company now, Vanu, Inc., and about what your current goals are and what you're working on. Cool. My favorite topic. <laughs> Let <laughs> me start by telling you about the problem we're trying to solve. Okay. Uh, so there are a billion people in the world with no connectivity at all, no phone, no cell phone, no internet. Mm-hmm. And there's about three and a half billion people who don't have access to the internet. Three and a half, yeah. Uh, and that's out of a population of seven billion in the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you always want to look for a big market. And I thought a billion people was a pretty good-sized market. (laughs) So we said, well, okay, why aren't they covered today? And it turns out to be simple economics. You know, when when most of the world is actually not covered by landline telephones, it's covered by cell phones. (laughs) India has 2% landline penetration, about 70% cellular penetration. Oh, really? Because it's much easier to build cellular networks. But when you build them, you know, carriers build the big towers that you see when you're driving along the highway. Mm-hmm. Now, as you move out to more rural areas, the towers are an area with lower population density. So you don't get as many people. And when you're in rural developing areas in India and Africa, the amount people can spend per month on their cell phone is very low, maybe one or two dollars a month, yeah. as opposed to over fifty dollars yeah. a month here in the US. So your complete revenue per cell site goes way down. But it's even worse because in these areas of the rural developing market where you don't have coverage, you also don't have electricity. Okay. So the cell sites have to run on diesel. And a typical cell site is maybe about four kilowatts of power. So you can spend $4,000 a month on diesel fuel while your subscribers are paying you a dollar a month. Yeah, and they're not getting the diesel fuel easily either. Well, and it's a big theft item, and of course, yeah. it's bad for the environment. It's just bad. Yeah. But just looking at the economics, $4,000 in diesel fuel, a dollar a month for your customers, maybe you got a couple thousand customers, it doesn't yeah. pencil. So that's the reason these people aren't covered, is the economics don't work. Mm-hmm. So we decided, we've looked at how to transform that equation by combining both technology and business model innovation in three ways. Cool. First was, we had to get rid of diesel. Right? Okay. Expensive, bad for the environment, big theft item. And it's four kilowatts is really too big to build a viable solar and battery or wind farm to run your uh, site. So we said, let's re-engineer the cell site and the equipment at the site. So we've re-engineered it, and our cell sites that we've deployed now in rural Africa consume a total of 90 watts of power. That's so it's true. like a light bulb. Big deal. That's a big jump. Now you can do yeah. easily do that on solar, and you don't need a whole lot of battery to run 90 watts for 24 hours without no. sun. Completely changes Break the equation, gets rid of the diesel cost. Mm-hmm. The second was traditionally each carrier builds their own network. They have their mm-hmm. own mm-hmm. Uh, sites. And if everybody builds their own network in a low-population, low-revenue rural area, nobody makes money. Mm-hmm. So we created a wholesale network model. We had to actually work with GSM association to create a new carrier class. GSM. Uh, that's the big wire, global wireless association mm-hmm. where all the carriers have to be members. And so we build and run a whole cellular network, but we don't have subscribers. Mm-hmm. Instead, we strike deals with each of the carriers so that when their subscribers come into the area, they seamlessly connect to our network. And then the carriers pay us a few pennies for every minute or megabyte their customer uses on the network. Okay. We actually first rolled out this network in rural Vermont where there's bad coverage patches and we oh. have nine carriers using the network. So it worked in Vermont. Yep. And then we didn't need the solar in Vermont. That was an addition for Africa. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece is interesting because it's actually the same in Vermont and Rwanda and India. Interesting. Which is in rural areas, it turns out people live in small towns or villages mm-hmm. or otherwise within a couple kilometers of some road. Now, in Rwanda, it's not a paved road. It's a dirt road, maybe, and not, maybe not that great of a dirt road. But 
everybody needs access. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to cover where people live, work, and commute. So we realized if we cover the roads in two kilometers on either side of the road, we will cover all the places people live, work, and commute in rural. Now, if I want to go two kilometers, I don't need a big 300-foot tower. I, we build 10-meter poles in Rwanda. We put them on telephone poles in Vermont. Yeah. And it dramatically lowers the cost. I need less land. I need a less rigid structure. I need less power. Transforms the economics. So you combine solar, wholesale, and small cell. And our economics at running networks in rural areas are 10x better than the traditional model. And we just went live a month ago with our network in Rwanda and just getting data now. But we believe we'll be profitable even though the subscribers there can spend a dollar a month. Which is a breakthrough at all levels. So you're going to be connecting, give them the punchline. Well, we're connecting people to the Internet who don't even have a phone today. So these people live in a pre-Alexander Graham Bell society. Yeah. I mean, the the life they live is if, if their child is sick, they wrap them up and walk 10 kilometers to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And forget about even the Internet. Just having a phone and being able to pick up the phone and call the doctor is life-changing. Mm-hmm. It's a life they can do business But we're the taking them from this pre-Alexander Graham Bell society through telephone, Internet, and social media all in one step. And you're le- leaping past the computer, over the computer. Well, yeah. The, I mean, the mobile phone is the ubiquitous is the device. Computer. In these <laughs> yeah, it is. There, yeah. there are no laptops and th- very few. Yeah. It, the phone is your computing device. It's very yeah. clear. Which is the future. So you're a life changer in rural areas. That's a pretty ambitious goal. Was this your strategy from the beginning? No. In fact, this is probably the third major strategy we've had in the company. Uh, When we started, and I started the company right out of doing my PhD work, um, I'll give ourselves credit for one thing, which was we realized our technology was not ready for the commercial market. So we actually spent the first six years doing R&D, government work, some defense work to mature the technology. That's expensive. Yes. And, but, you know, we got, we got uh, DARPA grants, NSF grants, things like that, and continued to mature the technology. And then we moved into the commercial cellular infrastructure business where we would sell equipment to carriers like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like your AT&Ts or Vodafones in India and, and a lot of rural carriers in the U.S. And that actually was going really well in, in around 2007, our business was growing, and then the meltdown in 2008 happened, and mm. nobody in our customer segments bought anything for two years. Whoa, that's a killer. Yeah, right it's kind of rough on your business. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we, we had to do a 50% layoff. We nearly went out of business. Uh, but this is one of those stories where if you come out of it, it was a good thing that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> if you come out yeah. of it, that's a big so, if, yeah. And what happened was we we had a uh, we were very fortunate to have Clay Christensen as one of our board members. Clay Christensen is not only a professor at Harvard Business School; he's a giant legend in uh, innovators' dilemma and yeah. breaking through tough, yeah. knotty um, strategy. He was the one problems. who coined the term disruptive technology. Yeah. And um, it was during this downturn that we were really, for the first time, able to purely craft a strategy around his theories. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was hard before for, for many reasons, including uh, more conventional investors, while they like Clay's theories, when it comes to implementing it. <laughs> Scary. They, they, yeah, they don't really, can't see from here to there. Um, so the, the fundamental thing is that what Clay says, when you're a small company competing with large incumbents, and in wireless infrastructure, there's only four companies that matter, Nokia, Ericsson, and the two big Chinese vendors. Okay. They're all giants. And there you were, the small guy. Yeah, and so when, you, when you're trying to compete against them, you have to compete against what he calls non-consumption. Mm. There's, a, there's a group of customers who can't use the product or service. It's too hard, it's too expensive, or they, the big guys don't care about serving them. So you have to do what the big guys either can't or won't. And the key for us was defining what is non-consumption in cellular infrastructure. And it was anywhere that you don't have good coverage. Okay. Because every carrier would like coverage everywhere, but the only reason they don't is because the current technology doesn't make it cost effective to give you good coverage in buildings or in subway tunnels or in Mm -hmm. rural areas. So we've segmented our markets that way, and of course the rural developing market was the biggest of those segments, 
And that's what we focused on. And um, that's where we came up with this model where it's not selling equipment to the carriers, but providing them the service of coverage. So we call our business coverage as a service. Coverage of service. Coverage as a service. As a service. Oh, like software as a service. Yeah, exactly right. So a play on that. But you got that off of Clay Christensen's ideas is do what the big companies don't want to do. Yeah, you have to be willing to plow new ground and create a new market segment and own it. And that, that, that they don't think exists. What you did is you got to it fast enough you could own it. Well, even structure. so, our model is so different from what they do. Uh, you know, what they do is they sell equipment to carriers. But as I've described, a single carrier can't build out with their model and make these areas work. Yeah. So we created a new model yeah. that does that work. That do, does work, which is a breakthrough. And it's at least our third Lego piece of uh being a CEO, which is it's okay to change your strategy if it leads to better outcomes. Yeah, not only okay, I think it's essential. Essential. <laughs> right. If, if yeah. you have a business that's not going well or going okay but not great and you yeah. think you can do something better, you got to do it. So testing your strategy, is it, is it up to our expectations? Is it going to take us where we want to go? And if yeah. not, you've got and, to change. And what are the changes in, in the broad landscape that might affect your business okay so that's something that you built into your solutions too you know i may hear another uh step that i'd like to lay out there uh somewhat with a humor or no-brainer about how to become or stay a ceo is to what you have done yourself is start a company. <laughs> what easier way is there to be yeah, CEO? I, I don't want to short circuit your program, but for me, there was one step to becoming CEO, which is start a company, and then you're the CEO. <laughs> and then, yeah, exactly. Yeah, doesn't that make it? Yeah, not everybody may want to do that, but it's just a strategy I want to put on the table that when you're going through changes or thinking, how do I progress quickly? Just do some self assessment. Is there a market opportunity, and do I have the will? The drive and the will, because any thoughts about that in our last two minutes before a break about either warnings or rewards that you would offer? Well, I mean, it, sometimes it's over, startups are glamorized. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. And, you know, it's very well documented that most of them fail. So, number one, you have to be really passionate about what you're doing. So that you'll drive through, you know, we almost went bankrupt, as I said, and we didn't know how we were going to make payroll the next week and those kind of things. And you just have to really be passionate about what you're doing to get you through those points and keep going and the late nights and the travel and everything. Yeah, there is the satisfaction has to yeah. offset some of that, too. That's yeah. a, that's actually a deeper point. You feel it as you're going too. OK, we are going to move to a break, a short break and Two things. When you come back for our third segment, you're going to get a little bonus that I will tell you about later. And plus, you'll hear some thoughts from Vanu about high-stakes environments and how you can think about managing them. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Lassiter Consulting works privately with senior-level professionals who want a trusted advisor to co-create paths to reach the career outcomes you seek. You can improve your work success in your current company, choose them for outplacement or career change, or explore retirement. Lassiter also works with corporations that are going through change. You may be discreetly transitioning a senior executive out of the company or growing yourself for increased productivity. Put Lassiter Consulting to work for you today. Visit LassiterConsulting.com. Pam Lassiter has written The New Job Security, which details the five best strategies for taking control of your career. It's a Wall Street Journal award winner. Take control of your career by learning how to use target markets and their challenges to your advantage. The book will dramatically change your resume, your communications, and your financial results. You can find the book on Amazon, including Kindle, or by visiting LassiterConsulting.com. That's LassiterConsulting.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. To reach the show, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email with questions or comments, send it to info at ceoacademywithpam.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back from the break. I know you want to hear about the bonus that I promised, but we're going to get to that in a couple of minutes. First, we have something that may be a higher stake, which is higher stakes. There's in the literature and in the research, and when you're talking about CEOs, you're going to hear a theme about high stakes environments and consistently getting results. You know, just before I ask Vanu about that, I want to give you a metaphor. And if you are around me, you're going to hear football metaphors. And I was hanging around some retired NFL football players, and they were talking about Bill Belichick, the coach of an illustrious team, (laughs) Patriots. And they were saying how people that played for the Patriots not only had to be good in their positions, they had to be smart to get down the playbook, and they had to be consistent. It's not that you can be the best wide receiver a couple of times during the game or the best quarterback. You have to be there every time and deliver. There are lessons in life with football. This is People expect this from CEOs and top leaders, too. Consistency of delivering in high-stakes environments is a big deal, and it's not that easy. Vanu's had some experience with this, delivering when the stakes are high. Can you talk to us about this and tell us a little bit about how you thought about it and handled it? Yeah, I mean, in a startup, stakes are always high. (laughs) (laughs) Survival is the stake in Making payroll. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I would say, I mean, honestly, I think that's one of the things I'm – I'm not as good at as I should be really? in being consistent. And, you know, one of the things that that chips away at consistency is having an irregular schedule. Irregular. And I travel a lot. You know, we have networks in Africa. We have offices in India. And when I'm not traveling, I'm on calls at all hours of the day with them. And, um, you know, you wake up the next morning, you're kind of brain dead. You go into a meeting and it matters a lot if you're, leading a meeting in your executive team and you're not there. <laughs> you may be physically there, yeah. but you're not present. And, 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 <laughs> and I, I think I, I'm, st- I'm better at it than I used to be. And one of the things that, you know, is, is really getting control of your schedule and, and, and blocking things off. Like, I think the big revelation for me was, um, especially, and so many people run international businesses today. Mm-hmm. So with all the time zones, you know, Africa's six hours behind, India's ten and a half, or ahead, sorry. And um, calls can be at any time of the night. And you can get really stuck if you're doing a midnight call with Africa and a 6 a.m. <laughs> call with India, and there's nothing in between. Yeah. So you kind of have to group them. But I realized that, you know, I was still laboring under this notion that nine to five is your sacred work time. Yeah, that disappears. When when nine to five is your work time and you're doing stuff at night, you have no time for anything else. And so I realized you just have to blur the clock. It's 24 hours. And, um, you know, when when there's time to do family stuff, if it's early afternoon, I'll go do that. Um, I try to work out three times a week, and usually I do it at 10 a.m., Really? Because I can do my morning calls, I can go work out, there's no traffic, there's nobody else at the gym, it's great, and oh, then I go back great. to the office, and I'm not so worried about always being there all the time, but I have to manage to fit everything in that I, that I want to do consistently. So one of your high-stakes environments is just the 24-hour clock with a global operation. With the international business, and, I, and it takes a toll on your health if you're not careful, and your effectiveness. Your, your family, kind of, your company, you're not... Yeah. Tuning into your employees. Yeah, you're yeah. not. Pre- you're only like semi-present sometimes yeah, in meetings. It's not a good thing. They're physical stakes you're yeah. talking about too. The other one that we had chatted about was something dramatic like 2008, where things just kind of fall apart. You have no control. It's not like you can fix it yeah. easily too. How were you thinking about that as you were entering the? Well, it's funny when you always think about it different in retrospect than at the time. Yeah. Uh, at at the time. There was a slide deck going around by some, uh, I can't remember who, 
uh, VC firm on the West Coast. That basically the message was batten down the hatches, don't spend anything, the, the disaster is coming, uh, you know, stop hiring, save your money, just put it in the bank, try to weather the storm. And, and every, you know, we ratted a lot of people, yeah, it's coming bad, but boy, these guys are really, they're over the edge, they're, they're just doomsdayers. And you look back and they were 100% right. Had we done, had we battened down the hatches and cut spending and assumed we weren't going to sell, we would have been fine. <laughs> but in it, you think incrementally as it happens, okay, we can make it through, we can do the next step. And you don't realize how bad it is until you're deep down in it. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that, that's a hard thing because, you know, you, you're an optimist by nature if, you start, if you're an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, seeing the, the, big, the big caverns isn't necessarily... Uh, the strong point. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, buy uh, buy lows. No, it's the other way around. Buy high, sell low. Right. That right. you were <laughs> uh, just getting yourself further into the hole that yep. you were making the, yeah. some we decisions. And we had no idea how deep that hole was, but, you know, I don't blame myself too much. Most people didn't. <laughs> no, no. When you see that the whole world is in the same boat it makes it a little bit easier but it's the consistency of having the the vision and the calmness that is the tough part during oh i i wouldn't say it was a calm time no, no. <laughs> outwardly maybe you try to appear calm. that's just it that's <laughs> a lot the, of sleepless nights that's one of the goals of ceos is how other people are perceiving you which i'll come back to in a minute but it's appearing to be calm it's the duck that it looks totally calm on top of the water <laughs> and underneath, those web feet are going crazy. Right. So that's uh, uh, building trust with your employees. To, but the consistency and high-stakes environments is our fifth piece of the plan to be CEO that you're going to assemble. And here comes the bonus that I was talking about. Just in case one of your pieces isn't going to be start your own company. Because not everybody chooses to go in that direction. You're going to get a sixth piece today that is really important. In fact, I submit that including this in your plan is critical regardless. And it's about emotional intelligence. Have you heard that expression before? There's an author and a professor and researcher named Daniel Goleman who coined this term of emotional intelligence. His article, What Makes a Leader, is a seminal piece. You've probably read it in graduate school, too, and is a core... Uh, um, emotional intelligence wasn't a topic they taught at MIT. That's a good... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they are now. Yeah, maybe. Do you think that's changed? <laughs> it's a giant deal. How else do you know how to supervise and how to build support? You can lead, but if no one follows, it doesn't really matter. Right. And the he has uh, interviewed and researched and talked to, worked for, or as in consultant to a lot of leaders. And leaders come in all sizes, shapes, temperaments, profiles. And the one core trait he found in successful leaders is emotional intelligence, which he has broken down into five categories. I'll just go through those quickly, but I want to just come back to two in our time. We, right now, uh, need to go to a break. And why don't we uh, go to break quickly and then come back and we'll wrap these two intelligences up uh, in our last segment and have a little bit longer last segment. Okay? Talk to you shortly. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Lassiter Consulting works privately with senior-level professionals who want a trusted advisor to co-create paths to reach the career outcomes you seek. You can improve your work success in your current company, choose them for outplacement or career change, or explore retirement. Lassiter also works with corporations that are going through change. You may be discreetly transitioning a senior executive out of the company or growing yourself for increased productivity. Put Lassiter Consulting to work for you today. Visit LassiterConsulting.com. Pam Lassiter has written The New Job Security, 
which details the five best strategies for taking control of your career. It's a Wall Street Journal Award winner. Take control of your career by learning how to use target markets and their challenges to your advantage. The book will dramatically change your resume, your communications, and your financial results. You can find the book on Amazon, including Kindle, or by visiting LassiterConsulting.com. That's LassiterConsulting.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CEO Academy with Pam Lasseter. To reach the show, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email with questions or comments, send it to info at ceoacademywithpam.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back from the break. We're going to pick up something really important. We're talking to Vanu Bose of Vanu, Inc. about five steps to be CEO on our show today. What we were talking about was emotional intelligence that Dan Goleman has introduced, and his five key categories are self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skill. Each one of these five is worth books in itself. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have parts of these and consciously develop them as a CEO, you're not going to motivate people to follow you. The two that I want to spend our time talking about today is our self-awareness and empathy. Self-awareness, the ability to have insight into oneself, knowing your emotions, strengths, weaknesses, values, and being able to get outside of yourself and see how you're impacting others. That's sort of what we were talking about in high stakes, Mm -hmm. being that calm duck above the water (laughs) to people. It's really critical. Avana, have you had some insights or experiences around self-awareness and how that's made a difference as a leader? Well, I mean, we we certainly see it around us all the time. Like, the... The example that jumps to mind right now is the stuff going on with Uber. <laughs> oh, that's exactly. Travis, um, I won't yeah. even go into names. And, uh, uh, okay. you know, not to take anything away from Uber, they're a great company. They, they, mm-hmm. They've created a great new thing that solves the problem for all of us. But when I look at the, the challenges they've had recently, the sexual harassment, the conflicts with the drivers, it just seems like they're all self-inflicted wounds <laughs> and, and, and easily avoidable mm-hmm. and, and there's some level of somehow stopping thinking it through. It should be obvious. <laughs> Self-awareness. Well, yeah. I don't know if you're following this. The women are taking charge. The women on the board are getting him, <laughs> making sure. I didn't know that. That's good to hear. Yeah. No, and it, yeah, and that's, you know, that has to come from the top, that culture, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, it does. And, and uh, that's the wrong. Co- but that's a perfect example of lack of self-awareness. And Adriana Huffington is working <laughs> on that because she's a board member now. Oh, she is. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that will help with yeah. that company. So the there's something that we, just as we're going through our jobs as either CEOs or senior level execs, it's an ongoing reminder. Don't you? I have to tap myself on the shoulder and say, Pam, tune in. Why are you so, just like you were saying earlier, why did was I so embedded on that point? Yeah. Why did that matter so much to me? And you can trace it back to some early learnings too, but the awareness and how you're affecting other people. I coach global leaders and I see empathy as being the main area that consistently people either don't think it's important and empathy in particular don't think is important, but in the long term, People don't become engaged and they don't buy into the leadership. I, I actually, I think empathy is a double-edged sword. Okay, say more. It can be positive and negative. I mean, not having it is clearly a negative. You you know, whether it's empathy with your employees or empathy with your customers for what they're going through, you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. 
and understand what they're feeling and seeing. Uh, it can also be a negative because sometimes you might put yourself in people's shoes and we have some fire drill for some customer emergency and you feel bad because this is going to be really rough on people who are going to have to work late at night, but mm-hmm. but they got to do it. <laughs> and so you can't be so empathetic and say, oh, it's okay. We don't have to do this. And sometimes you do. So yeah. I think having empathy and understanding it, but also understanding when you have to make the decisions you have to make for the best interest of the company is important. That's, you know, there's a difference between being empathic and feeling sorry for someone and changing yeah, maybe that's, that's a done. good distinction. Yeah. Empathy doesn't mean feeling sorry for someone. It means understanding their position um, but or their feelings, but not necessarily, um, you know, completely submitting to it. No, if they feel heard is the main objective. I got a kick out of one critic talking about Adele, the famous singer, and how She's so successful, and somehow she makes everybody feel sorry for her all the time. (laughs) Her best-selling song, Hello, nobody calling her back, while she's holding five Grammy Awards in her arms. Yeah, the empathy is nice, but it's not, you don't have to follow through to actually, I know you don't have a babysitter, that's okay for the next month, we'll work it out. <laughs> right. You just got to uh, so, figure out how to work it out. Yeah, but, that's you know. the right question. How do, how do we work this out? Yeah. And you can buy, get them to work on it too. But it's, it's listening. It's awareness. And this is where Daniel Goleman, I recommend his articles about self-awareness in general. And this allows you to retain the talent. Giant point. As the unemployment goes down. I'm talking to more and more companies about retention, especially with high potential employees well, retention and technical. Retention and also attracting new talent. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's and this is training the managers and how to develop their people. It propagates on down. So the empathy builds up. And I think we, it's an even bigger challenge when you have an international company. Perfect. Because, um, you know, we have people in Delhi, in Bangalore, in Kigali, Rwanda, and here in Boston. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't have the day-to-day contact. Um, You have different cultures and different interpretations. So uh, I find when when things, mostly when things become problems, it was a result of emails and different interpretations of the tone in email. Mm -hmm. Much less problems when people get on the phone and talk. Yeah, But there's cultural differences and you know, maybe you don't approach things a certain way or say them a certain way and they're interpreted completely differently. Mm-hmm. And and that's also, I think, uh, a dimension of entropy, uh, sorry, entropy, of empathy, empathy yeah. um, in terms of, of the, the cultural difference aspect. That's, I'm so glad you brought that up. That is a giant deal. And we don't even know what we don't know half the time either, that we're offending people or that in Japan, someone might react to a proposal differently and you think they're all on board when in reality, they're nodding politely. they're saying yes and they're really meaning no. (laughs) Yeah. Or they're just being polite. Or or they have a problem and, you know, some cultures you don't say it directly. No. You make a subtle, and Americans sometimes don't get that because you've got a problem, you just say it and you get it over with. Yeah, yeah. And so those those things and I think uh, building cross-cultural empathy is something that we need to be better at. And that's something that's going to affect our companies and globally. everybody's global. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I was coaching on some performance reviews in China, and that is a totally different process than what we would think about doing in the States. So that was a learning for me as well. But to submit that the emotional intelligence and particularly the self-awareness and empathy are critical aspects of being a leader. I think that's a fairly safe sixth piece that you can choose among these five pieces to assemble your own plan. Yeah, and those are aspects which are not taught in school. Yeah, no, they're not. (laughs) Are you saying MIT doesn't? (laughs) I don't think any school teaches those. No, no, that's, uh, in fact, I've heard uh, exec ed participants at major universities say, why don't we learn more about the human capital management because it's really core to the product development and everything, everything too. So that's a good point, too. Uh, I want to also 
pull out one other point and then we'll wrap up on the the six pieces you have for your five-step plan. <laughs> How do you like that? See, bonus. The six pieces of the five-step plan to the one step to be a CEO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you're going to customize and design yourself, too. So it's the broad support that CEOs built. In order to get selected, it's not always the, you know, the A-plus student or the most obvious student. It's someone that is building broad support throughout the company. Yeah, and that that's an area that obviously I don't have much to add um, because that's the difference between being a founder CEO mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and uh, ascending to be CEO of an existing company. Through a corporate structure. Uh, and um, and that, you know, same with my dad. Uh, he didn't. He created the company, and he, that gives you the moral authority to do a lot of things that no one following that person could ever have. And it gets back to one of our steps. Start your own company yeah, yeah. if you want to be CEO, yeah, too. So, um, but when you're coming up through the ranks, it's being conscious. I'm, I've seen people shoot themselves in the foot because they didn't treat somebody with respect, and it could be the... Yeah, I mean, I, I've learned that lesson in different contexts and more, you know, business development and networking. Mm-hmm. You never know mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. somebody is or might become. And it's always worth your time to to have a conversation with them. Uh, I remember I was at a big conference and there were a few people at the table and, you know, the guy next to me didn't seem all that interesting. I wasn't interested in what he's doing and... You know, a few years later, I saw him on TV interviewing the president. And there <laughs> there like, he was. Oh, that was and, a lesson. And he I was saying, I remember him. that conversation I had with Vanna, <laughs> yeah. which wasn't a conversation. <laughs> it's a good point. You right. never know. And getting your peers on board. Right. Okay, we've gotten some, so many great ideas and points. And Vanna, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to wrap up these really quickly about being a sponge with that continual learning. The second step is broaden your functional experience. The third is... Change your strategy if the outcomes are different or better. And fourth is starting a company. Hey, case in point right here. Fifth is consistently getting results in high-stakes environments. And the sixth is the emotional intelligence, especially self-awareness and empathy. Did we get them all? I think we got more than five, so that sounds good. Okay, well, go to (laughs) vanu.com and check out the company. Vanu Inc. on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Lassiter Consulting. I am your host, Pam Lassiter, and you've just listened to the CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. Join us next week, and we're going to be talking about scalability, growing your company from a thought to a global enterprise. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to join us for another edition of CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week for more tips from the professionals as you grow your career and your company to the top. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.